You are seeing Tina Ferguson, a 15-year-old in your cystic fibrosis clinic. She was discharged from a hospitalization for pneumonia with Pseudomonas aeruginosa. She has been hospitalized multiple times over the past few years. During this visit, she adds that she's been feeling more thirsty and feels like she is now drinking all the time and making urine all the time. She's even waking up at night to make urine. As you leave the room, you wonder, what is the potential etiology of Tina's symptoms? Can she have another disease now in addition to cystic fibrosis? Or could this be part of her cystic fibrosis too? Consider your answer as we begin this next episode. Welcome to Audiobricks. I'm Adam Weinstein bringing pulmonology from our bricks to your ears. Let's get started demonstrating how kids are not little adults. After completing this episode, you will be able to first outline the genetic basis and prevalence of cystic fibrosis, or CF, in the United States. Second, describe the clinical presentation of CF. Next, explain the pathophysiology of CF. After that, describe how to confirm the clinical diagnosis of CF. And lastly, outline the management options for CF. Part 1. What is cystic fibrosis? Cystic fibrosis, or CF, is a multi-system hereditary genetic disorder that causes obstructed lung disease, gastrointestinal disease, including malabsorption, and infertility. The respiratory disease is characterized by thickened viscous airway mucus, leading to obstructed airflow and increased respiratory infections. All of the manifestations of CF are due to defects in cellular chloride transport. Epidemiologically, the prevalence of CF in the United States is about 40,000 patients with an annual incidence of 1 in 2,000 to 4,000 live births. Approximately 1,000 new cases are diagnosed in the United States every year, mostly as a result of newborn testing for CF, which is now routine in many countries, including the United States. CF is more common in white populations of European ancestry, three to tenfold increase in incidence versus other populations. The median life expectancy for patients with CF has significantly improved over the last decade to over 40 years of age due to better diagnosis and treatment options. Okay, let's review what we have covered with a question break. In which population demographic does cystic fibrosis most commonly occur? CF occurs most often in white populations of European descent. Part 2. How do patients with cystic fibrosis clinically present? CF usually is detected through newborn screening. Symptoms may develop in any combination of the following organ systems. Respiratory tract symptoms include persistent, productive coughing, wheezing, and dyspnea. There may also be frequent lung infections. Sinus involvement may lead to postnasal drip, nasal congestion, recurrent sinus infections, and headaches. A large number of and increased number of nasal polyps may also be a feature. Gastrointestinal tract symptoms include the syndrome called meconium ileus, in which the sticky stool that neonates normally make in utero is thicker than normal, and so thick that it creates a blockage of the intestines. This is a neonatal surgical emergency. As untreated, it can lead to perforation and sepsis and even death. Other symptoms may include malabsorption, which could lead to diarrhea, as well as impaired growth, often termed failure to thrive. 
Gastroesophageal reflux symptoms and disease is common too. Reproductive tract symptoms may include male infertility caused by the congenital absence of the vas deferens, and in females, they may have thickened cervical mucus and may have greater difficulty in conceiving, but are usually fertile. Let's review again with a question break. What are some of the characteristic pulmonary symptoms of patients with cystic fibrosis? Characteristic pulmonary symptoms of CF include persistent, productive coughing, wheezing, shortness of breath, and recurrent lung infections. Part 3. What is the pathophysiology of cystic fibrosis? CF occurs when epithelial cell chloride ion transport through the cystic fibrosis transmembrane conductance regulator, or CFTR, is impaired. Normally, cellular chloride ion movement is mediated by CFTR, a transport protein found on the apical membrane of epithelial cells. When this ion channel opens, chloride ions flow across their electrochemical gradient, and as a result, in most epithelial cells, for example, like those in the lungs or pancreas, the CFTR transports chloride out of the cell and into the extracellular fluid, including respiratory and gastrointestinal secretions. In contrast, in the sweat glands, the chloride transport along the gradient carries chloride into the cell. We will return to this point when we talk about sweat testing for CF later on in this episode. Based on this transport physiology, the CFTR functions to maintain the fluidity of mucus, saliva, and digestive fluids. When CFTR function is impaired, as with CF, the decreased chloride ion transport in these fluids results in increased viscosity or thickness of these fluids, leading to the CF clinical symptoms we just discussed. There are a variety of known mutations in the CFTR gene that lead to CF. The CFTR gene is located on the long arm or Q-arm of chromosome 7. CF is an autosomal recessive disorder, meaning that both alleles of the CFTR gene must lose function for the phenotypic expression of CF. All of the pathogenic mutations reduce or eliminate CFTR protein transport at the cell membrane, either through functional changes in the protein or reduce receptor trafficking to the cell membrane. These mutations include... CFTR protein processing mutations, or misfolding mutations, which are the most common mutation, present in close to 90% of patients. Most of these result from deletion of phenylalanine in residue 508, causing a mutated CFTR protein that misfolds after translation. The CFTR remains sequestered in the rough endoplasmic reticulum rather than migrating to the cell membrane as it should. This is now called a class 2 CFTR mutation. Then there are mutations that result in reduced or absent synthesis of functional CFTR. Absent synthesis of CFTR is considered a class 1 mutation. No functional CFTR is created. Reduced but inadequate synthesis of CFTR is considered a class 5 mutation. Lastly, there are functional mutations in which CFTR is produced and reaches the cell membrane, but is defective and the ion channel does not open properly, which are class 3 mutations, or does not conduct ions normally, which are class 4 mutations, both leading to reduced chloride transport. Now a question break. What is the most common mutation type in cystic fibrosis? 
The most common type of mutation in CF is deletion of phenylalanine at residue 508 in CFTR. And another question. Can you name the five classes of CFTR mutations? Class 1 mutations are those that create no functional CFTR protein. Class 2 mutations are misfolding mutations, in which the functional CFTR channel does not reach the plasma membrane. Class 3 and 4 mutations are those where the CFTR is synthesized and reaches the cell surface, but the channel does not open, class 3, or functions in a faulty manner, class 4. Class 5 mutations are those that create inadequate quantity of CFTR protein. As we've already discussed, chloride secretion plays an important, normal role in modulating the fluidity of luminal fluids, such as airway mucus in the respiratory tract. Chloride secretion increases the electronegativity of the extracellular fluid, encouraging sodium ions to migrate out of the cell into the extracellular fluid. The increased ions in the extracellular space increases its osmolality, causing water to remain in the airway or lumen rather than entering the cell. The increased water in the mucus or secretion prevents it from becoming too viscous or sticky. In contrast, in CF, the poorly functioning membrane CFTR protein decreases epithelial cell chloride secretion, reducing extracellular chloride. With fewer ions in the extracellular fluid, water is less likely to stay in the lumen and more likely to enter the cell, and the remaining luminal fluid or mucus is now more viscous. This is what results in the typical CF pathology in the respiratory, GI, and reproductive tracts. And now for another question break. What effect does a faulty CFTR protein have on epithelial cell chloride secretion? When CFTR is defective, epithelial cell chloride secretion decreases, leading to increased viscosity of luminal fluids. Let's review this again now with more specifics towards the main consequences of thick mucus in the respiratory, gastrointestinal, and reproductive systems. First, let's discuss respiratory effects. The thick mucus has several consequences. First, the airways are obstructed, so CF is classified as an obstructive pulmonary disease in the same class as asthma and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Spirometry will show a reduced FEV1 and FEV1 to FVC ratio, typical of obstructive diseases. The thick mucus also impairs ciliary function in the respiratory epithelial cells. The cilia normally help remove pathogens from the airways, and when cilia are impaired and not able to move pathogens along against the thicker mucus, patients are more prone to recurring respiratory infections, such as sinusitis and pneumonia, with increasing pathogenic and resistant organisms too as time goes on. The chronic inflammation of CF and recurrent pulmonary infections makes it the leading cause of bronchiectasis, an irreversible dilatation and scarring of the bronchioles and bronchi. The bronchiectasis increases the risk of pneumonia, as well as complications like atelectasis and hemoptysis. And last but not least, in the upper airways, inflammation from chronic rhinosinusitis can cause nasal polyps and recurrent sinusitis. Sinus obstruction affects many patients with CF. Gastrointestinal effects are largely due to thickened secretions. Some examples include meconium ileus and neonates, which we already described earlier in this episode. 
In older patients, the same mechanism may make patients prone to constipation. Another example is exocrine pancreas insufficiency in malabsorption. The thick mucus may obstruct the pancreatic ducts. As a result, the pancreas may be unable to release enzymes into the gut for digestion and absorption of macromolecules, a condition known as pancreatic insufficiency. Fatty acids, as well as the fat-soluble vitamins A, D, E, and K, are poorly absorbed. Malabsorption can cause malnutrition and failure to thrive in infants, along with fat-soluble vitamin deficiencies. This malabsorption can lead to steatorrhea, or loose, fatty stools, because mucus and fat nutrients remain in the gut lumen. Patients may develop bone disease due to malabsorption of vitamin D. A third example of gastrointestinal effects is secondary diabetes mellitus, or cystic fibrosis-related diabetes mellitus, also known as CFRD. Over time, blockage of the pancreatic ducts leads to the replacement of tissue with fibrosis and adipose tissue. This will eventually impair both pancreatic exocrine function as well as endocrine function, for example, insulin production. CFRD is the consequence, and this condition shares features of both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. CFRD is common in CF patients, affecting approximately 20% of adolescents and up to 50% of adults with CF. Hmm, this makes me wonder about our patient Tina, who presented with increasing thirst and urine output. Could she be developing symptoms of CFRD now? A final example of GI effects we'll discuss is liver disease. CF may cause liver disease due to reduced flow of thickened bile and resulting cholestasis, eventually leading to biliary cirrhosis characterized by scarring of the liver, progressive liver failure, and increased portal venous pressure, portal hypertension. Patients with CF also have an increased incidence of gallstones and cholecystitis. Okay, now on to the reproductive tract effects. Up to 98% of males with CF are infertile because they are born with an absence or obstructed vas deferens. The vas deferens normally transports sperm from the epididymis to the ejaculatory ducts. This consequence in males is likely because CFTR plays an important role in the formation of the vas deferens during development. Females with CF, on the other hand, may have trouble getting pregnant, but usually are fertile. Thicker cervical mucus makes it harder for sperm to penetrate the cervix. Additionally, in some patients, the poor nutrition that can be a complication of CF may cause irregular ovulation, making pregnancy difficult for this reason too. And now for a question break. How can cystic fibrosis cause bowel obstruction in the neonate? Bowel obstruction may occur in CF because of meconium illness, which is caused by excessively thick meconium. Part 4. How do we diagnose cystic fibrosis? Most cases of CF are diagnosed through newborn screening, DNA genetic screening, and or sweat testing. Many nations, including the United States now, require routine screening of newborns for CF. A variety of panels that detect CFTR gene mutations are commonly used in screening. These panels have largely replaced the older test for immunoreactive trypsinogen, or IRT, a pancreatic protein that is reduced in the serum of CF patients. The IRT test has many false positive results, leading to its replacement by gene panels today. If the newborn screening test is positive, 
or if a patient did not receive or have positive newborn screening but is presenting with signs and symptoms concerning for CF, diagnostic testing is done to assess for the functional effects of the CFTR mutation. This is done by the sweat chloride test, officially termed the quantitative pilocarpine iontophoresis sweat test, or QPIT, which analyzes a sample of patient's sweat for chloride content. Let's just call it sweat testing. How does sweat testing work? A skin effect of CF is that the mutated CFTR prevents absorption of chloride and indirectly sodium into the epithelial cells lining the sweat ducts. This causes increased chloride and sodium in the sweat rather than decreased. Unlike the respiratory luminal fluid in which CFTR normally secretes chloride into the fluid with water following, in sweat, the sodium and chloride are already in the sweat gland lumen in more isotonic concentrations, or plasma concentrations. CFTR allows much of that chloride to re-enter the cell, preventing excess salt loss in sweat. When CFTR loses function, then, there is more chloride and more salt in sweat. The test is performed by delivering pilocarpine, an M3 muscarinic agonist, into a small area on the forearm. This stimulates sweat production. Sweat from the stimulated area is collected and analyzed for chloride concentration. And now another question break. How are newborns screened for cystic fibrosis? Newborn screening for CF now uses DNA mutation panels, and some states may still use the immunoreactive trypsinogen test. Part 5. How do we manage cystic fibrosis? There is no known cure for cystic fibrosis, but there are non-pharmacologic and pharmacologic methods used to reduce symptoms and complications of CF, especially reducing infections and maximizing nutrition. To treat the respiratory consequences of CF, chest physiotherapy is used to break up the thick mucus. The most convenient method is a percussion vest. It mechanically breaks up the mucus by vibrating the patient's chest at scheduled sessions held multiple times per day. Infections cause high mortality in people with CF, so prevention is important. Methods such as vaccination and physical distancing from other patients with respiratory infections can be life-saving. In hospitalized patients, strict contact and respiratory precautions are essential. Treatment of malnutrition is also associated with improved pulmonary outcomes in CF. Because of malnutrition and malabsorption, patients with CF require a high-calorie and high-fat diet, often with adult formula supplementation. Patients also take supplemental fat-soluble vitamins, such as vitamins A, D, E, and K. And one more question break. What is the effect of a percussion vest? A percussion vest vibrates the patient's chest, mechanically breaking up the mucus. Pharmacologic therapy for CF can be divided into newer drugs that target the mutated epithelial cell itself and those that treat complications like pancreatic insufficiency. Drugs to improve CFTR function now include CFTR modulators. These are new drugs that help correct the malfunctioning CFTR protein itself. Their goal is to restore function of the ion channel and thereby prevent and reverse disease effects. 
The drugs are available for patients with specific CFTR mutations. For example, these do not work in class 1 CFTR mutations when no protein is made. The most widely used agent is the combination drug Alexacaftor, Tezacaftor, Ivacaftor, or ETI. The drugs have been shown to reduce pulmonary symptoms and improve FEV1, a measure of obstructive pulmonary disease. They also often improve malnutrition and increase body weight. Several other drugs can increase airflow and decrease mucus viscosity in CF patients. These include mucolytics, for example, Dornase alpha. Mucolytics are inhaled and cleave extracellular DNA contained within the mucus. This reduces the mucus viscosity. Inhaled hypertonic saline is also used. This draws water from the cells into the airways and thins the mucus. And lastly, bronchodilators are used, such as albuterol. These widen the airway by dilating smooth muscle, thus improving airflow. Additionally, drugs to reduce inflammation may be included, such as nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs and the antibiotic azithromycin, which in addition to its antimicrobial effect, it also reduces lung inflammation. Which brings me to the use of drugs to prevent and treat infections. As we've discussed, patients with CF develop frequent recurrent respiratory infections. It is critical to select the appropriate antimicrobials and use cultures to document sensitivity and drug resistance when treating these acute infections. The use of multiple broad-spectrum antibiotics is especially important in the case of pseudomonas infections. Unfortunately, with frequent antibiotic courses, resistant pathogens will form, and patients with CF also have altered pharmacokinetic responses to antibiotics, which further complicates treatment. To address this problem, aerosolized antibiotics are commonly used to deliver antibiotics directly to the infected airway epithelia, rather than systemically, where there may be more adverse effects. To reduce infections and improve clinical outcomes, patients with recurrent or persistent Pseudomonas aeruginosa infection are given prophylactic inhaled antibiotics, primarily tobramycin. Note that there is little benefit to long-term oral antibiotic therapy, which often leads to antibiotic resistance. Lastly, drugs are often given for pancreatic symptoms and complications, such as for pancreatic exocrine insufficiency and CF-related diabetes. Exocrine insufficiency is treated with oral supplementation of pancreatic enzymes, such as lipase, amylase, and protease, given concurrent with meals. CFRD requires insulin treatment since insulin secretion is reduced. Because insulin and dietary guidelines differ from those of patients with conventional diabetes mellitus, these patients have a unique regimen. And lastly, one more question break. Which medications may be used to thin airway mucus and cystic fibrosis? CFTR modulators, inhaled hypertonic saline, and inhaled mucolytic agents all thin mucus in patients with CF. And that's all I have today for cystic fibrosis. Let's see if we've completed our goals for this episode. Can you outline the genetic basis and prevalence of cystic fibrosis in the United States? CF is a multi-system genetic disorder causing reduced chloride transport through epithelial cells because of decreased function or impairment of CFTR. The white population with European ancestry has the highest prevalence of CF. Second, can you describe the clinical presentation of CF? 
CF is usually diagnosed through the newborn screening system. Patients may present with symptoms including wheezing, dyspnea, productive cough, recurrent lung infections, recurrent sinus infections, failure to thrive, symptoms of malabsorption, CF-related diabetes, and infertility, among others. Next, can you explain the pathophysiology of CF? Mutations in the CFTR gene decrease the amount of chloride secreted from the cell, leading to thickened extracellular fluids, including mucus and pancreatic fluids. Now, can you describe how to confirm the diagnosis of CF? CF is screened for in all newborns using either DNA genetic tests or the IRT. Sweat chloride testing confirms the diagnosis with increased sweat chloride indicating CF. And lastly, outline the management options for CF. Non-pharmacologic therapy includes chest physiotherapy, nutritional support, and vitamin supplementation. CFTR modulator therapies are novel drug therapies designed to improve CFTR function, depending on the class of CFTR mutation your patient has. Bronchodilators and mucolytics improve airflow through bronchi and bronchioles. Inhaled antibiotics can reduce infections and inflammation, and pancreatic enzyme replacement can improve absorption and nutrition, while insulin can be given for CF-related diabetes. Let's get back to our patient from the beginning of this episode. Thinking back to Tina Ferguson, who is a 15-year-old with recent pseudomonal pneumonia, presenting for follow-up concerning increased thirst and urination. As you leave the room, you wonder, what is the potential etiology of Tina's symptoms? Can she have another disease now in addition to cystic fibrosis? Or could this be part of her cystic fibrosis too? You realize that cystic fibrosis can also cause pancreatic fibrosis and damage, leading to both pancreatic exocrine insufficiency as well as pancreatic endocrine disease. This makes you concerned that her symptoms are a complication of CF and related to CF-related diabetes. You screen Tina's blood glucose and hemoglobin A1c and confirm the diagnosis. You tell Tina and her parents that just as the excess mucus plugs her breathing tubes and causes lung problems, it can also plug the ducts in the pancreas, the organ that produces insulin. Over time, this mucus plugging can also damage the pancreatic cells that secrete insulin, the hormone that regulates blood sugar. This appears to be the case now, and you are not able to make enough insulin to keep your blood sugar up in the normal range. This is a special type of diabetes called cystic fibrosis-related diabetes. We treat it just as in other forms of diabetes with insulin injections. However, unlike other forms of diabetes, we need to maintain your high-calorie diet because of your other CF needs, so don't use the dietary guidelines you may find online for other types of diabetes. And that's all I have for today's audio break. Thanks for joining me. If you like this episode, give it a thumbs up or a comment. You can enjoy the full brick experience online at www.usmle-rx.com, complete with illustrations, questions, flashcards, and active learning. Stay healthy out there.